0: Are you feeling a little like your mind's not as sharp maybe you're not firing as quickly as you were a little brain fog a little frustration you're gonna love this episode in this episode with an amazing expert we're gonna cover how perimenopause impacts your brain three simple ways to start taking care of your brain health for peak performance in perimenopause and the piece of advice in this interview that completely blew my mind Hey, hey, sister, welcome to another episode of the Period Whisperer podcast, and today is going to be a good one, so I'm glad you're here. If you're like me and you have big goals in life, you like to accomplish things and care about your health, I am willing to bet that you want to know anything that you can to help you achieve more and operate at peak performance without burnout or your hormones getting in the way, which is why I know you're going to love this episode. I've invited my friend, Dr. Laura de Cesaris, to join me today. Dr. Laura is a functional medicine health strategist specializing in women's health and high performance. Laura works with driven, ambitious women, sound familiar, helping them to rebuild their metabolism so they can experience optimal brain health, body composition, and natural vitality. She takes a female-centric approach to health and wellness, teaching women about their bodies and brains so they can make better decisions for their health and leverage their biochemistry for optimal performance. And you can find her in outlets such as Forbes, NBC, MindBody. Green, Parade, Well and Good, and other publications. And today we're going to talk about brain health and performance for high achieving women in perimenopause. And I couldn't be more stoked. So please help me welcome Dr. Laura to the podcast. Welcome. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I'm so excited for
1: this conversation. I've been excited for months since we met last fall. Um, You have just such a great podcast and this is going to be just such a good, good talk.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I have to ask you first, how are you feeling in your body today?
1: Mm, I'm actually feeling very good in my body. I was on my PEMF mat right before this, (gasps) if you know what that is.
0: I (laughs) do. My sister just got one. She talks about Uh it all the time. Tell us about it. I've had
1: it I've had it for like five years and without a doubt it's the tool I use probably more than anything else. Um, So I have a a PEMF pulsed electromagnetic frequency and infrared mat together so you get a nice little infrared heating action and then the, the PEMF which really just helps with kind of regulating you kind of like bringing you down helping you calm yourself so I literally keep mine on the floor in my office and hop on it before interviews between calls I find it just helps me stay really grounded
0: and do you lay on it or do you like crisscross applesauce
1: depends depends on what I feel like doing Um, (laughs) today I crisscrossed applesauce because I had to shoot off a couple emails while I was on it but it's really nice if you like lay on it and you get the heat down your whole back too so uh, just depends what I'm in the mood for I guess
0: Oh, I love that. That's amazing. My sister's been telling me about hers. I think she's had it for just a couple months and how obsessed she is. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I know I'm going to be Googling it after this call. (laughs) Thank you. So how did you get interested in functional medicine and and working with women on like health and high performance?
1: Mm, Yeah. So like a lot of other functional medicine providers, I, I found it through my own efforts to address my own health. Um, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease when I was 21. Uh, 21, you think you're supposed to be at peak health? That was yeah. not my story. I was exhausted and gaining weight, even though I was, quote unquote, doing everything right. Yeah. Uh, I was in college, I was like <laughs> sleeping 12 hours a night, waking up exhausted, trying to just like push through my classes, figure out what the heck I wanted to do with my life. And uh, my mom, who was way into, you know, functional and alternative health and energy healing before it was cool and trendy like it is now. Mm. Um She like dragged me to this person. She's like, you're coming with me to see my functional medicine person. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Fine. Okay. I'll try anything. Uh, and that appointment changed my life. She spent like three hours with me and she would, she's like poking me and looking at me and telling me things about myself that I I was like, I don't know how you know this, by looking at me, but yes, that sounds very accurate. And she, she really opened my eyes to the fact that all of the things that I thought I was doing that were good were actually the worst choices for my body. Um, and really helped me understand what Hashimoto's really was, that it wasn't like this lifelong sentence of being miserable, but that I had to, I had to be brave enough to really make some big changes in my life. So, uh, when I think back to it, you know, she was like, at the time she was probably in her mid-50s and she loved her job. And I was like, that's what I'm gonna do. That lady. She's so happy to go to work. Uh it's really cool what she does. It's like a big puzzle. She's doing detective work. So that really started my journey into functional medicine and learning more about it. And the cool part was, I was my first end of one experiment. As I learned different things, I would apply everything to myself and figure out what worked, what didn't, why this might have worked, why this didn't work. I was fortunate to have some really great mentors along the way and um, the rest is history. So I, I initially started working with a lot of the autoimmune patients like myself. I worked at a clinic in New York right out of school for six, seven years. And then wow. about five years ago, I um, wanted to run my own show and it kind of naturally evolved into helping other entrepreneurial women, other female business owners, other high performers, just because that was the new stage of life that I was at.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. I love what you said there, what that doctor said to you. You have to be brave enough to make the decisions. Can you say that again? Cause I don't know how you said it, but I liked it better.
1: Yeah. It it, it, it really stuck with me. I think 21, we we think we're adults, but we're still kind of young when we're 21. Like, we really know, yeah. don't really know things yet. And I just remember her saying, she's like, Laura, you have to be brave enough to make changes, to make the decisions, to make the change in your life and not do things just because someone told you you should do this. Um, so that was like a really pivotal moment of embracing curiosity and understanding that to some extent, when you're on your health journey, it's great to gather all the information and try new things and hear different perspectives, but it comes to a point where you kind of have to like put your blinders on and just try things out yourself and say, how does this affect me? Like this might work, this might not, but if I go into it, like, Hey, I'm going to just pay attention to how I feel. That's yeah. really a big game changer for a lot of people when they're really trying to figure out, you know, how to move from good to great on their health journey.
0: Yeah. Gosh, honestly, that sentence alone, like, was worth these this podcast. I mean, if you had to go, I'd be like, thank you. That was amazing. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whew, did my job. Because, <laughs> yeah, that bravery on so many levels, right? Like, even just being brave enough to be different than the people around you, being brave enough, to, yeah, to, to know, to hear what your body's saying and trust her, like all of those pieces that we struggle with when it's time to make a change, be brave enough to do the work, I guess. So that's amazing. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And you know, at the time when I was in college, I was at Cornell university, which is a very traditional minded university and everybody was on pre-med tracks heading towards conventional, very traditional medicine. So it, I think that that went much further than just my health in the moment Mm -hmm. because it was like, it's actually okay to do all of this different just because all of these other people are around you are going the same way. There's all this pressure to go this way, but there's this whole other area that might be way more fulfilling if you're brave enough to like try that out.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. So, okay. So you're obviously an ambitious woman. So let's talk about ambitious women in midlife, like what they're experiencing. Like, what do you notice about this phase of life for us?
1: Uh, I think- I think it's a phase of life where sometimes we do it to ourselves and sometimes other people do. We kind of get lumped in. It's like, oh, it's just your stressed out phase. There's so many things going on. But it's actually a really cool phase of life because we're not in our like 20s and early 30s anymore where there's still a lot of self-confidence issues, maybe uncertainties. A lot of us in midlife where we've built more established careers, we're raising families, like we're a little more sure of the things that we want in life. And I think that's actually something really beautiful that you can actually leverage in your health journey, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not a bunch of question marks. You've kind of started down the track to these different goals that you want. Mm -hmm. And when you have those things that are valuable to you, your family, your relationships, your career, it gives you this lens through which you can start to view your health goals on your your path towards wellness of okay well these are the things i've built a life around that i really love and value so as i learn to take care of myself of my changing body i have to remember to like always keep an eye on those things too because those are the things that are really important i want to be around and be happy for my kids i want to be in a loving relationship with my spouse with my partner i want to keep building my career and not feel derailed by stress and burnout Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit different than someone who might be 22 on their health journey who doesn't really know what they want in life yet. Yeah, Um, And and because we have all of these big things going on, careers and kids and everything else, it's just a very different picture when we have to think about the things that come into impacts on our health and on our health journey than before or after that, right? Because. Time and energy become the most valuable currencies for the midlife woman. Yes. And if we're not figuring everything out within that viewpoint of this person may not have a lot of time and we really need to maximize her energy, then we're going to miss stuff, right? Yeah. Like we can't tell midlife women to go spend five hours every day on routines and gym time and all that. It, That's just not there. It's yeah. the reality of being in that part of life. Mm-hmm. So we have to figure out how to. Whether regardless of what you're working on, whether it's a weight loss goal or a hormone optimization goal or something else, yeah. the first two questions I always ask are: How do we maximize this woman's time and energy as much as we can along the way?
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I love the way you explain that because I do feel that way as well. That it's very much an energy supply and demand game at this time because, as you, because of the external aspects and also because. You know, we didn't get here overnight. Like our a lot of our choices have made us here so good, bad, or ugly. We're not vending machines and things are going to take a little bit. So that energy supply and demand is a big deal to start to get a hold of. So I love those questions. Those are amazing. So we know so much is going on in our our like obviously in our body at this phase and in our life, but like how do you how does perimenopause impact our brain and our brain health and therefore our life?
1: I love that question because I feel like the brain is the forgotten organ Mm. whenever we talk about any stage of hormonal transition, whether we're talking about, you know, women figuring out their menstrual cycle, whether we're talking about perimenopause or postmenopause, Mm. everyone is so hyper-focused on hormones and ovaries and the adrenals. And we forget that the brain is like the control mechanism behind all of this. Yeah. And You know, I'm sure as your audience knows, we talk a lot about estrogen and progesterone during perimenopause. Well, the brain is flooded with receptors for both of those hormones. Mm. So as those levels are changing, that means the brain is changing in response to that. So a lot of the times, the things we feel, we feel like we're going crazy because we can't remember something or why am I so moody or why did I snap that way or why do I feel sad today or Mm. where are my keys? Why can't I sit down and do my work? It's that connection between brain and those hormone changes. We're not having the same signals to the brain, right? You know, we add in the we add in the component of stress that we often talk about as well in the perimenopause group of women. And I mean, yes, the adrenals are important for the stress response. We know this, right? They 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 make the cortisol, they do the things, they start to take over the other hormone production. But the brain is what identifies things as a stressor. And directs the adrenals to go do its job, right? So we call the the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. We can't forget about the H and the P, yeah, right. So the brain is this huge part of helping control all of these things. So as great as it is to support ovarian health and to regulate estrogen and progesterone and to address our stress levels, we also really have to support the brain on this journey because it's changing too. Mm -hmm. Right. And we have to help it adapt and understand how do I kind of, how do I, how do I drive this new car? That is my Perry brain compared Mm -hmm. to what it was before. Right.
0: And let me get, just make sure I have this right. I'm super excited right now. (laughs) I find this stuff (laughs) so fascinating. It's amazing to hear you talk about it. So the brain is changing because it is, you know, the reason we're having, you know, these things of why did I forget my keys or, you know, these because we're changing into this more peri-brain because you said the messages are not coming through the same way to the brain. And that's because the amount and the levels of our hormones are changing. Is that what you're saying? Hey, like the,
1: all of, all of these different organ systems and the hormones are the messengers between them. They're constantly talking to each other all of the mm-hmm. time. Right. I mean, even if we have a woman who may not be in perimenopause yet, you know, we think of the differences of her along the menstrual cycle. Right? Yeah. Most women will feel a little different mentally in their follicular phase versus their luteal phase. Yeah. One of them, they will feel very outgoing and creative and extroverted. And one of them, they will tend to need a little more alone time. They will tend to just not want to be as social. And a big piece of that is these fluctuating hormone levels binding to the brain and starting their own little signaling pathways that way. So in perimenopause, when these changes become more apparent, it's the same thing. Brain starts to function a little bit differently and we have to start... We have to start better supporting the brain in that journey, especially if women are feeling those cognitive effects, mm-hmm. if they're feeling the brain fog and the memory stuff and the focus issues and the mood changes, mm-hmm. it's not enough to just slap on hormone replacement and say, here you go. We still have to make sure we're supporting those communication networks between the two.
0: Yeah. I love that you said that even that you were listing out some of those things like forgetfulness is a thing I hear from a lot of my clients yeah. as well. Um, Okay. So that's incredible to hear. So when we shift to thinking about focusing on this forgotten organ, what are some of the things that we can start to do?
1: Yes. So lots of different ways we can support the brain. And the good thing is that most people are probably already doing these habits somewhat, right? Like when I think about the most powerful things we can do for brain health, it's specific kinds of exercise, which we all want to do anyway. Yeah. Uh, It's, Adequate hydration, which Mm -hmm. becomes more and more important as we age, of course. Mm -hmm. And it's really working on our relationship with stress. Mm -hmm. So I didn't just say reducing stress. I Mm -hmm. said working on our relationship with stress. It's a little bit different. So let me circle back to the first and I'll kind of go into some more detail. Love it. So a lot of times when we think about exercise, we tend to still think about it a lot in terms of our weight, right? Our weight and our fitness. We have to exercise to to stay fit so we don't gain weight. But it's so much more than that, right? It helps with blood flow. It really helps with the brain and neuroplasticity as well. So especially if we're varying our exercise. So of course, we want lots of low-level movement, walking, riding a bike, all of those sorts of things. But we also have these spurts where we ramp up the intensity a little bit, Mm -hmm. maybe pushing ourselves with some heavier lifting, maybe doing a little bit of true sprint work or high-intensity interval work, not an hour-long high intensity yeah. class, but a true hit workout that's like 15 minutes or less where we're really pushing up that heart rate a little bit. Mm-hmm. These have big brain benefits for sure. Oh, I, like that. I say, I say hydration for the second one, because yes. the brain is probably the most sensitive organ to hydration status. Even like if you're 2% dehydrated, your cognitive function will start to decline a little bit. So it's really, really, it is right. Such a small amount um, but really, really important, especially when I think of a lot of women in Perry who are again, busy driving kids around working, doing other stuff. Sometimes we forget Sometimes to drink our drink water
0: a hundred times, <laughs> right? but
1: yeah. like really, really important at the same time. And, yeah. um, yeah you know, looking at ways to that, to get that quality of hydration, I think is particularly important. Are we adding electrolytes if we're busy, and things that. like that? Yeah.
0: yeah. What, well, can you talk just a little bit about that? Cause I, I mean, I've been, I see it more and more, you know, out in, in the social channels, like adding electrolytes yeah. and I, and I, you know, obviously I have my own understanding of it, but I'm very interested in how do we add electrolytes to our water in, in an optimal way and how does that yeah. impact?
1: Absolutely. So I think electrolytes have gained popularity for a lot of the reasons. One of them being is most of us have to drink filtered water, right? Like we don't have the greatest quality water in our tap supply. So people usually get water filters and most water filters kind of strip the water of uh, minerals and all of those things that come with it. So it gets rid of some of the bad stuff, but it also gets rid of some of the good stuff. So unless you're actively remineralizing your filtered water, which, Most of us aren't, just because that's not super convenient. Electrolytes provide a way to get some of those back in. And especially for people who are active, who are working out, for living in warm climates where you're sweating some of that out even more, getting those minerals back into your body lets you make the most of your water, right? Mm -hmm. So I think a good example for this is a lot of people will notice that, hey, I've always drank a lot of water. I pee all the time. I can't possibly need something else. What they notice is when they start to add electrolytes in, they don't have to drink quite as much water. They don't feel as thirsty and they're not peeing quite as much all the time um, because they're they're getting a little more out of their water. It's not passing through. They're able to actually utilize it a little bit better.
0: Right. So you're just getting so, more bang for your buck.
1: Right. Yeah. And in an ideal world, we would be able to have that from our water supply, but it's just, we don't have that anymore. For the right. most part, we're just out with around it. Yeah.
0: Do you, I'm going to take us just off a little on this. I always like okay. to hear what other people are loving. Do you have a specific water filter that you love for your water?
1: I've tried a couple of them. Um, right now, uh, we are playing around with an true, which I still have to remineralize afterwards. So we don't love it. Um, Berkey is another great one. There's a lot of course, that even simple like RO filters that people can at least put you know, into their main water source to make sure that they're filtering out all of the junk in their tap water. Whatever you could do, something is generally better than nothing. Um, But generally, if it has like the RO filter, it has, you know, like carbon charcoal filtering, something like that to get the not great stuff out of it. um, Those are the first couple that come to mind.
0: And what about, do you have an electrolyte that you regularly like?
1: I do. I have a couple um and I will say flavor preference mainly determines which one I'm going to have at the given time (laughs) um I mean simply put some some people would do fine even just like getting a little salt in their water once a day but um LMNT is big on that uh literally literally all the letters LMNT it is definitely salty um but it's a great percentage of minerals coming into your water and they have all sorts of cool flavors like watermelon salt and dark chocolate salt which kind of tastes like a salted dark chocolate hot cocoa oh. if you put it in hot water um so that's one i also really like a brand called Quintin. um they have the isotonic and a hypertonic solution depending on what you need and what you're looking for i find i personally do really well with those my biggest advice for people is just like take a look at the labels if they have a ton of sugar added to them put it back down oh, nice. uh, you don't need sugar in your electrolytes
0: Love it. That was amazing. Thank you. Sorry. I was just <laughs> yeah, was really for my own interest. And I have to assume whoever's listening, you know, they're going to want to understand too. So that's cool. Okay. So hydration, yeah. we talked about what was the last piece we talked about working yeah. on your relationship with stress?
1: Yes. Um, If any of you are like me, if someone just tells you, you know, don't stress out so much, like I can literally feel my blood pressure rise when someone tells me that, like, oh, thanks. Don't stress about it. Like so helpful. Thank you for that information. Um, So I think something that's a little more helpful in the conversation around stress is acknowledging that we're all going to experience stress. Like that's just the reality. It's very difficult in today's world to have a non-stress life. Mm -hmm. Um, but something that we can work on is our relationship with stress, meaning when stress comes to mind, how do we define stress? What are, what is our response to stress? Right. Mm -hmm. So there's actually studies on this, that if your relationship with stress is one of, oh my gosh, I have so much stress. I'm so stressed all the time. Like you define yourself by stress, like stress is going to kill me. You're, you're actually more likely to have adverse illness or die from stress. If you believe that stress will kill you versus if you have the same amount of objective stress, but you view it as something we'll say, constructional, maybe is the word Mm -hmm. I'm looking for, meaning you experience stress. You teach yourself to, acknowledge that stress and say, okay, I have a lot of stress on my plate right now. Some in my control, some not in my control. What's the, what's the lesson here? What do I need to learn from this stress? Is it, do I need to delegate things? Am I saying yes too much? Do I learn how to say no? Do I need to set better boundaries? Am I taking on too much? Am I getting too caught up in other people's stress that has nothing to do with me? Like what's the lesson? What can I learn so that I can move forward and grow as a person from this? Mm-hmm. That tends to actually have positive effects on our health, on our well-being, on our cortisol levels over time. But it takes a little bit of practice to do that because yeah. when you're stressed in the moment, it's really hard to be like,, oh, let me sit and just work through this. Right? Yeah. we're stressed. So we call things like mindfulness, we call them practices for a reason. You have to practice it. Nobody's yeah. good at it when they first start. Yeah, but I think especially for women in perimenopause, this becomes more important than ever before, right? Because we don't have, we don't have the hormone background, the hormone we'll say preference on our side anymore to be able to weather the amount of stress that we could get away with when we were younger. Right. So it becomes more important to work on, on this relationship with stress rather than just try to say, Oh, I'm just going to try to eliminate all my stress because it's
0: just a recipe
1: for failure for most of us.
0: Right. Or I'm going to, you know, drink about it and forget it, or I'm going to eat this and forget it when we know those things perpetuate the problem.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh,
0: That's, I really like the way you explain that. I think just managing it or working on our relationship to it because, um, and you're right, everything requires a bit of work and a bit of practice, but I think that you're right. It's like, it's almost the gift we're given at this age. It's like, I think that perimenopause happens for us and not to us. And it's our opportunity to look at all the different ways that we can live a happier life. And obviously doing that work is one of those ways. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think so. I think I think most people would agree that they would much rather take that little bit of time for themselves to practice mindfulness, to work on their relationship with stress, to do the hard work of setting boundaries, of asking for help, looking at all of you high achievers who are hyper-independent. Totally. I see you. I feel you. I hear you. Uh, We have to practice these other things. (laughs) I think think most of us would say it's the least selfish thing we can do to take that time to learn that skill set versus letting stress rule our lives and Feeling like we can't control it, as we lash out at people around us, yes. right?
0: Because that comes with a cost too, doesn't it? The, the the shame spiral or the mental load that comes after we, you know, have a snap or a break, or you know, we don't, you know, operate the way we know we could, or you know, when we're in a moment, it really it's another mental load that adds adds more stress if we're not man- if we're not managing that relationship.
1: Yeah, and I think the shame spiral, whether it's with the stress, whether it's with food choices, whatever it may be. I think that's more detrimental than the actual action, Mm -hmm. right? Because if it's just the action and we can let go of defining ourselves relative to it, sometimes you have a bad day. You get up and say, Hey guys, I had a bad day. We're going to do better tomorrow. Hey, didn't make the best choice with that meal. It's all right. I got tomorrow. It's a new day. But as women, we tend to do this a little more than men. We we relate our worth and value to sometimes when these things happen that maybe we didn't act the way we wanted to. Maybe, you know, things didn't feel the way we wanted to. Our response wasn't what we wanted it to. And we think it's a reflection on who we are and And that's just not true. Mm -hmm. That's just not true at all. So, you know, this mindfulness work is what helps us start to move past that Mm -hmm. um, and let us see it as just don't, don't make it so hard on ourselves, right? Like everyone is going to have a bad day here and there. It's yeah. going to happen. And it's it's really the ability to pick yourself up the next day and be like, that was a rough day, yeah. but today's a new day. So we're not going to bring that with us forward again and again.
0: Yeah, I like that. This is a big one, this piece, this relationship, our relationship with stress. You know, so obviously there's a, a react or sort of that reactive response where we make a decision and we think, okay, let's sit back and think a little bit about this and how it went and the mentalizing around that. Is there a proactive way where, you know, and maybe it's meditation, maybe it's sitting on your mat. Like, is there a proactive way to work on that piece, would you say?
1: I think the most proactive thing that any of us can do to be the best version of ourselves is... We learn how to regulate ourselves, right mm-hmm. So the nervous system regulation is a very hot topic on the internet right now uh, mm-hmm. but to me it's not quite as simple as you know breathwork is amazing, all these things are amazing. It's not the end-all be-all. it's a little bit bigger than that. We have to really consider and let's talk about it for your audience from the lens of the perimenopausal woman. Yeah. what is the state of her nervous system right now? Mm-hmm. Well, we know as these hormones change and are all over the place, she tends to be a little more sympathetic dominant. She tends to be in that fight or flight phase a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Or if she's totally burnt out, has been like through the ringer with stuff, literally can't even get up and move, she might actually be too parasympathetic dominant. So it's not good to be on either half of the nervous system. What regulation means is, how can I come towards the middle and be able to move back and forth between this stressed out fight or flight stage and this kind of pull back rest and digest stage like how can I move back and forth from them as needed because we need both we don't want to be too much in one camp or the other so as much as we don't want to be stressed out on autopilot we also don't want to be like zenned out not able to like rise to the challenge right (laughs) we need some of both so learning how to regulate yourself some of that is is dependent on like all right, what are, what are my tendencies? Am I someone who actually does need to challenge myself more? Like, am I in that deep parasympathetic bucket where I like can't get uncomfortable,
0: mm-hmm. where I like
1: can't bring myself to rise and do anything? Then maybe we have to do things that let us rise to the challenge that are a little difficult at first to help help introduce controlled stressors mm-hmm. to reteach that nervous system how to regulate Um these are things like the sauna, like the cold plunge. Like I truly don't believe anyone's like, oh, I would love to go into a tub of freezing cold water. That sounds
0: fantastic. <laughs> but, no, but it feels really amazing after, doesn't right? it? Yeah.
1: And that's the key. People know, okay, it's gonna suck in the moment when I'm in there. But the long-term benefits of this, they help me rise to the challenge with stress. Mm-hmm. They help me understand, you know, how to how to do that. Hmm. Whereas people on the other side of this who are stressed out all the time, they need to learn how to do the most uncomfortable thing for them, which is to be still, still yeah. which is hard. This is definitely me and my like weak spot. Like, Believe me, when I'm stressed, I would much rather go to a boxing class, go lift some heavy weight at a gym, like go on a hike. Like, I want to go do something where I'm like moving it through. And the hardest thing that I had to learn in, in my mid thirties and as I continue to get older is... I need the stillness. I have to learn like that is so uncomfortable for me, but it's so essential to teach my nervous system how to be able to regulate itself and do what I need to do because practicing that stillness, it lets me then pause so I can respond to an unexpected stressor so I don't react to it. And that's the key, I think, for a lot of us
0: yeah, I can imagine it's almost like when you because i'm I, I relate to what you're talking about and being that kind of person probably living. <laughs> and I saw you make a post that really hit for me. So if you guys aren't following Dr. Laura already, make sure you go and check out her Instagram because she's got some amazing things there, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But you talked about are you addicted to cortisol? I think is what it was. And it was about just those dopamine hits we start to look for. um, maybe I should let you explain it, but it was really <laughs> interesting to me. It's your post. You go. <laughs>
1: Yeah. It's like, uh, some of us get a little, you know, we think about cortisol sometimes and people immediately jump to like, Oh, cortisol is bad. Well, not always. There's yeah. sometimes we should like, we should make cortisol in the morning. We should make it when we work out. Like yeah. sometimes when we make it, it brings along this other flood of neurotransmitters, like dopamine that make us feel really good. And, yeah. uh, sometimes when we think that we're just like, Driven by a deadline, or I need my, my back against the wall for things to get finished. I'm a procrastinator. It's not really who you are. A lot of people are just addicted to this like cortisol track where mm-hmm. when they are stressed, when they're under pressure, they get a rise in all these neurochemicals and hormones that help them actually get things done. Yeah. Um, which sounds like it's not a bad thing in the moment, but you don't want that to have to happen for you to be productive for Mm -hmm. you to complete projects right like you want to be the one in control of that versus Mm. having your hormones in control of the process
0: that's so interesting even just your explanation of the regulation though regulation allows us to go ebb and flow and go back and forth and have control over that within ourselves and that's amazing Okay, so I want to recap because you gave us sort of three key things we can do to help focus on this forgotten organ, our brain, and help it for peak performance. First one was exercise. Was that right? It was like more stress, you know, stress inducing pieces, hydration, and then the final was working on our relationship with stress. Those were amazing, and maybe we could just talk, if you don't mind, we could just talk just a little bit about burnout for people? Cause I know, mm-hmm. I think when you're a high achiever, that burnout can be very real, uh, and come. So how do, or are these the same practices we would follow if we want to be avoiding burnout?
1: Yes. And I, I think burnout is one of those things as a high achieving woman. Like I'm kind of of the opinion that every woman has probably hit it once mm-hmm. if she's a go-getter, because it's kind of like, it's like when someone brings that hot plate to the restaurant and they're like, don't touch this plate. It's hot. And we're all like, how hot is it? Like I just kind of know. Like is it that hot? <laughs> hot, really? hot. That's so funny. <laughs> and then, like, then once we hit burnout once, we're like, wow, that was bad. I never yeah. want to do that again. How do yeah. I prevent this from ever happening? Yeah. Um, so to some extent, depending on where you're at, like, yes, these strategies are always good coming from a, a baseline foundation of health to make sure that you don't hit burnout, right? With the caveat being we also don't want to overdo any of them. We Mm -hmm. talked about that with exercise, like exercise is really powerful. It also has the power to be detrimental to your health if you do too much of certain types of it, right? So Mm -hmm. if we're super stressed out, not sleeping, not eating well, drinking too much wine, like not doing the things. And then we're going to like an hour long cardio bootcamp class every day might feel good in the moment, but it might not be, that might not be the time for that type of workout for you. Yeah. Right. Like we need to be in this place of a regulated foundation to be able to handle that stressor. So yeah. we have to kind of think about where you're at. And if you're someone who's healing from burnout, it's a little bit of a different story, because while we think a lot about burnout in terms of the mental impact, like I'm just tired, I don't feel like doing anything, we actually see it has effects on women's biochemistry along the way. Mm -hmm. And it's usually a very depleting situation, meaning women with burnout don't necessarily have high cortisol and other issues. They're depleted across the line because these signals from the brain aren't going anywhere. So we're not making thyroid hormone. We're not making stress hormones. We're not making estrogen and progesterone. So we don't have any gas in the tank to do a lot of these things. So the focus has to be a ton of nourishment first before Mm -hmm. we get to that and slowly increasing the, the way we stress the body through exercise, through other modalities, but initially you don't, you don't have the ability to respond to those unless you get a little bit of gas in the tank first. So it's a a stepwise process as you go
0: yeah, it's almost like a healing process, right? Like you have an open wound, you kind of need to take the time to heal before you go back out there and do whatever it is that you were doing that cut you there in the first place. Like we need, you're right, totally. you need that time. And, and that kind of goes back to that idea of we're not vending machines. Like we do need time, you know, weight loss and optimization always take a little bit more time. If you put the work in, it'll get there.
1: I love that vending machine analogy so much. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, but it's, it's very true. It, yeah. I think I think we severely underestimate how long it takes to optimize your health if you've gotten into some sort of health crisis or health dysfunction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's never a and I, it's, we live in the world of seven day challenges and thirty day boot camps, but it, it it takes it's a process with these things, which is why we talk so much about mindset changes and lifestyle changes, right? Because this isn't something that you do for a couple of weeks and then go back to your old habits. This has to be completely changing your outlook on life, your health, your relationship with your body Mm -hmm. um, so that it sets you up for success long-term. And I think perimenopause is a really beautiful time for that because your experience, your health status during perimenopause will determine what things look like for you post-menopause. It's pretty common to see when people are really struggling and are kind of a train wreck in perimenopause and aren't doing anything about it. Menopause isn't always such a treat afterwards either. So perimenopause is a great opportunity to optimize what's not working for you and set yourself up for success for the next half of your life, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of life left on the other side of menopause. Yeah. Um, and we want women to have a long health span along with that.
0: Yes. I love that you shared that. And we just need to be brave enough to make those changes, Laura. This has been Dr. Laura. This has been amazing. Like I can't tell you how many mind blowing moments I've had. I'm, I really appreciate all that you shared today, and like such clear tips. And um, and uh, you know, I'm more aware now of of the of the brain and how that impacts everything, and how obviously everything is tied together. But it's been so special to hear you talk um, so realistically and passionately about it for us and give us these real steps. So I thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for, for being here and sharing your knowledge today.
1: Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I, I knew this was going to be a fun conversation.
0: Yeah, me too. So how does everybody find you? How, what is the best way for them to reach out, to connect with you? Um, if they want to learn more.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I'm mostly on Instagram or LinkedIn. So Instagram is just dr. Dr. Laura DeCessoris. LinkedIn is Dr. Laura DeCessoris or my website, com. Try and try and keep it easy for you. Keep everything the same.
0: <laughs> Amazing. I will. Uh, I love that. <laughs> that, does, that does keep it simple. I will link everything <laughs> in the show notes. Thank you again so much. And And sisters, go out, be more in your life and not just less on a scale and be brave. We'll catch you next time.